If you are struggling or you know somebody else who's struggling, there is always hope. And now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for listening. I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to episode 116 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Fantastic. How you doing today, baby doll? I'm doing good. Do I sound far away? Because I am far away right wait, now. Wait, 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 wait a second. Let me turn around the studio here. Wait, <laughs> where are you? Christine's um, not even in this room. I am out of this world. No, yeah, I, I am out of this state. And Oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. I'm out of this state and I'm actually in a completely different time zone. Oh my goodness. Christine has flown the coop and she is... I have flown the coop and I have landed in the land of snow and winter. <laughs> Wait, you know what's funny is there's no snow here. It's close to 80 degrees down here in San Diego and Christine's mm. like, she's not having it. She's like, I got to see some snow. <laughs> so she's got an airplane and flew far north, almost as north to the north, north Pole. Oh my gosh, you're a, you're a goober. No, I flew east, but thank you. You flew north. <laughs> I flew northeast. I'm in Utah. I'm in a suburb of Salt Lake City. Um, got to come out here to have some client meetings and uh, visit my best friend, my bestie. Wait, I thought and, I was your best friend. Well, you're my best husband friend. You're, <laughs> but you know, I've always had my Kira. I know. Shout out, Kira. How you doing? Shout out, bestie. Bestie. So how yeah. was the weather up there in old Utah? Salt well, Lake City. It's, it's sunny, but it's cold. But you know what? It's not like unbearable cold. So it gets down really cold last, like at nighttime. But do you know what I had to do this morning, Chris? What did you have to do, baby? I had to scrape off the ice from my rental car. And I was like, when I got my rental car at the airport the other night, I got in and I was like, what, what is in the passenger seat? And I was like, why are they giving me like a brush for my car? And I was like, do they want me to like dust off the windshield? Like Chris has like, you have Chris, those like, um, the, like kind of like the lint, not, not the lint things, but like the dust brushes that you can get off, like the dust off of your cars. Oh yeah. And I was yeah. like, but that's like a bristly brush that would scratch your car. And then I was like, oh, it's for ice and snow. Like people have to carry those in their car. What is this? I was like, I'm not going to need that. And then when I checked into my hotel on Friday night, they had a, like some hotels will keep like buckets of umbrellas. This one had a bucket of ice scrapers. And I was like, no what way. am I getting myself into? You know, it was funny today. You told me you scraped your car, your rental car. And I was like, you hit what? What what did you hit with it? You scraped what? And I didn't know you meant like actually like scraping ice off the yes. window. I did a whole like little Instagram uh, video of it. I was like, what is this California girl doing? And I was like brushing it off. And people were like yeah. messaging me. No, you have to scrape it first. And then you brush it off after that. Or you should have taken it. It would be funny if I had your video <laughs> of you taking like uh, one of the, the, uh, the hotel room like hairdryer <laughs> out to the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to like blow, blow dry it off. But I did know enough to turn on the car and turn on the defroster. I did know that. So oh. I hey, what did kind of start- car? What kind of car did they give you up there in the uh, Utah? Um, I am rolling in high class, high style over here with the roller. I'm rolling in the roller. A, Wait, a Range Corolla? Roller? A Corolla. A Corolla. Oh, Corolla. That's- <laughs> 
the Corolla. See, I said I'm rolling with the Rolla. Oh, fantastic. All it's right. a cute little, like, kind of a, almost like a steel blue little Toyota Corolla. But man, those things are low to the ground. You feel everything. Well, it's like my Z. My Z is really low to the ground. And it's got low profile tires. And I think it's lowered also. So you got lower tires, low, low, low. And you get a low, get a low, get a low. <laughs> yeah, but it sure is fun to drive that thing, by the way. So, but uh, what do you, um, so how, how has the wedding thing been happening up there? You guys got any uh, good deals working out or any venues picked out? Um, no. So, the couple that I met with, they're actually uh, getting married in Laguna, but they found me. It's interesting how they found me. So, the hairstylist that the bride is using is one of her friends from high school who happens to be. It's, it's really crazy how this all happened. So I went with one of my other clients to her hair trial for her wedding hair trial at the um, hairstylist's uh, place. Her name is Jordan Hicks, and she goes by Styled by Jordan. She's amazing. She's like the queen of wedding hair. And she posted a photo of me that day. This was like multiple months ago saying like that I was like the best wedding planner in the business. Oh, and so sweet. Yeah, I love that. And then her friend... Natasha, who is my client, saw that post and reached out to me immediately. And like we chatted, we had like a Zoom call. And then her and her fiance contracted with me right away for full service wedding planning and floral design. So it's like crazy how going and taking just a couple hours out of my day to go and be present with one of my brides and somebody sees that customer service turns around into like a whole nother wedding that I'm able to do, which led me out here to Utah to meet with them so we could do wedding planning today. So you met with them in Utah, although they are getting married down here in California? Yeah, because typically when I'm doing like wedding service packages, all of my clients get like for my full service packages, they get like eight to 10 in-person meetings. And there's like a certain amount of money that would be set aside for my travel and time for that. Well, these clients live out of state, so obviously they're not going to be able to have in-person planning with me. And so um, with all of my Southwest points, I was able to get out here for free, and I already had budgeted time and expenses to be able to meet with them. So it just made sense to come out here because you can only do so much wedding planning over the phone and over Zoom. Sometimes you just have to sit down and have like two hours of really good planning time. And so um, we did that. We went to this place. I picked it out called... The Ridge Cafe. It's beautiful. It's like on the top of the snow covered mountain in a place called Draper, Utah. And we had wonderful brunch and coffee and mimosas and then did a ton of planning for their wedding. And I got to spend the evening tonight with my best friend Kira and her husband Scott for dinner. And then we spent the whole day, my bestie and I, yesterday together. And um, I work remotely for a couple days a week. So it works out perfectly. That's fantastic. I love having a job like yours where you actually can pull off an actual like your day-to-day task for your real job while you're like in a hotel room. I got a town with your uh, yeah, old MacBook with, you got over there. With my other real job because you said I could do something for my real job. It makes it sound like my wedding business isn't a real job. No, baby, it is. Um, don't cry, babe. Come on. Come on. Your tears, your tears are reaching me all the way over here. Yes, they're I did, fake tears. It was funny. I did the math on it. I think we were about 650 miles away. 
Oh. Which I believe is the furthest we've ever been away to do a podcast, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about that. Tomorrow, we're going to be recording another interview, and it's somebody that's in a completely different state. So we're actually going to all three be in different states, which is a first for us. I'm going to have to tag each person which state they're in (laughs) on the feed. So, okay, this person is in this state, this person is in this state, and yours truly over here is in this state. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But enough about all of my adventures over here. You've been holding down the fort and manning the kiddos. How's Man, that been going? Uh, well, okay. You remember the remember the movie Home Alone when yes. uh, when uh, you know the first day everyone's gone and the kids are running amok and he's running around getting all crazy and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like that, but with me being here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, it was fun um, today. I took uh, the kids over to the park. Jacob did his final last pet practice with the coach, and he was asking me about. It. He's asking me, "Are we going to continue doing this?" And I said, "I need to talk to you about it." And I said, yeah. "Probably." After, I would think more once he starts doing a regular basketball for school, I would think it'd be a better thing to have you do one-on-one while he's in, because right now he's not doing basketball. Right now it's just a fun thing on the side. Right, he's just kind of like getting ready. Yeah, sometimes he'll play at home and sometimes he won't. But I think once he's in the thick of it, when he's actually playing it every day or every other day with a team, that maybe having the coaching on the side will be a little better for him. So we did that today. And we, by the way, miss you and Clover misses you so much. I took her for a and walk speaking, today, by the way. Oh, did you? Well, speaking of Clover, yesterday was her first birthday. And I sang her happy birthday. Thank you. And but I you took her for a walk today? Yes, I took, took her to the mail, down to the mailbox. Uh, our mailbox isn't like right next to our house. We have to like take a little walk to, to it down this little hill. It's like not that far, but I took her on a little walk down there. Clover sniffing around, getting all excited. She gets super excited to run down there. She and, does. Oh, she loves being on a leash and running around and uh, let her play around for a bit. The kids are playing outside a little bit. And I watched today. I was on Netflix. I did a full on Sunday relaxing day of like Netflix and chill with Chris over here by himself. Well, <laughs> Netflix anybody. and chill sounds bad. It makes it sound like you had somebody else over there, but well, you hung Clo- out and Clover you watched and Netflix. I, just, okay. little, just Clover and I watching Netflix together. So, I, well, first, before I did Netflix, I started browsing Disney Plus and I started watching this thing. It was called Sounds of the Galaxy or some, some Star Wars kind that of thing. That sounds weird. It was like a Star Wars thing, right? So I was watching it and I'm like, what is this? It's basically like scenes from Star Wars movies, and they just play the sounds of the movie. Like they'll play like five minute scene of these different mishmash, different scenes in the movie. That's with, bizarre. It is bizarre. There's no narration. There's no dialogue. There's no nothing. It's just like a seven minute scene of something happening, and a variety of scenes. So after I turned that off, I was like, I'm over that. I started watching other things, and then I was like, going on Netflix, and I was like, hey, why don't watch a Netflix, you know? And then I came across this new uh, documentary. It just came out like four days ago called um, The Tinder Swindler. What is that all about? Now, if you're familiar with Tinder being a dating site, like a dating app, like- Well, Match- I'm familiar. Talk to me. I'm, I'm familiar with well, it. Everybody's familiar with Tinder, you know? Tinder, uh, start the flame, you know what I'm saying, baby doll? So- the Tinder Swindler, the way it is, it's a documentary, true story about these girls that got swindled out of money and lots and lots of money with this guy they met on Tinder who poses at this, as this big, like, billionaire, like, millionaire, rich guy. He's supposed to be, like, the um, the son of some diamond for – a guy who owns a diamond company or something like that. <laughs> and uh, he's got these planes and these Rolls Royces and all those. He kind of swindles these women. But, I, but how, he gets, how he gets the money – is he's like swindling like 
four women at the same time, maybe even more. But wait, why does he get money from them if he's so rich? How are they coughing it up? Because that's the number one thing as a woman that you know not to do is you never give money to a guy. Well, that was the that was when I was watching the show. I asked Craven, no, you are not. Because he says, hey, I need a favor from you. It always starts with, I need a favor from you. Uh, what? I'm in, I'm, his thing was, he supposedly, he was like under a lot of threats from uh, other people. He didn't say who it was, but from other people. And that and that he uh, his bank accounts are kind of like, he, he can't use his accounts right now because they, they're on to him or something. So, uh, hey, hey, if you can, can you um, create a credit card in your name or some other name and give it to what? me? Give it to me. And just so I can get by, I'll pay back the money. I, I'm good for it. You know I'm good for it. I got the I got the yachts. You know, you see my money. I, you know I'm good for it, right? And he would just That's be little, dumb. And Any he, guy could it's like catch me if you can. It totally was like catch me if you can. It was totally like that because he was like forging checks, forging credit cards. Uh these girls, these poor girls, one girl was crying. She was in love with him and and the, the talk but about this the was tick. like real or this was this, no, fake? It's all real. It's a real, like a real thing. And so the documentary, was it really following, like, did it show the guy? Of and course. they were like well, following him around with cameras no, or well, what? No, well, the way it works, it was all showing like, you know, remember the show Catfish, how they would like be looking up the, the person on Catfish yes. and they would like show the Instagram page mm-hmm. and they show the Facebook profile. It was like a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff, like showing oh. the profile photos and stuff. And then it have like... Copies of the voice calls, copy of the video calls, like video um, videos and stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. He was playing like all these different women. And it was funny. He would have all this money um, from one woman coming in um, and he'd use it to go, you know, hang out with another chick, like spending, mm. he have, they have rent Ferraris, staying all over the world, these four, four star, five star hotels. How much were these women giving him? One woman, the main character, I guess the first character of the show. She was a little sweetheart. I I adored her, um, but she, you know, was telling how she felt so in love and all this stuff. How much? Uh, I think total. She had nine or ten different creditors <gasps> she borrowed from to give him money. I think no. it was. I think grand total was about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. No. Another girl gave away about um, one fifty or one hundred something like oh, that. Oh my word! And then no. the th- another girl they showed. She got wise. You would love the other. The third girl got wise. Of what's going uh-huh. on? Because she found out. Because because the news story broke. The two girls went to the news, and mm-hmm. they kind of like ratted him out and like posted him everywhere. So this one other third girl who also was dating him saw the news story, and so <sighs> she was like. Like, what's going on? She read the story and tried to confront him. And, of course, he denies the whole thing and says, no, they're making this up and blah, 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 whatever. And so she talked to the news agency, found out what's going on. They contacted her on Facebook. And then, basically, she plotted to catch him kind of thing, like plotted to steal his wow, gold. Uh-huh. So she wanted her money back, too, because she was doing the same thing, too, giving him money, too. So what she did was um, she he knew that he used a lot of high-end clothing. Like Gucci and, and right. all that stuff. Like he always wore that. He always traveled with that stuff. So she knew where he was going to be because supposedly a check that he gave her. Because this is what he did. He always gave the chicks a, a check. I'll pay you back. Here's a check for $500,000. Oh, you're so good. Thank you. Does the check clear? Of course nope. not. <laughs> of course not. And he says, oh, there's a problem with the bank. They screwed up. It's, you know, or something or whatever. So, um, but it was funny. He, uh, this chick, she got his all, I don't know how she got his luggage and she got all his clothing and she said, I'll sell it for you to get some money or something or whatever. She sold it all, but she kept the money. <laughs> she put all, and she says, I'm screw this guy back over. I'm going to take his clothing, high end clothing, and sell it on <laughs> um, OfferUp or websites like that. And uh, it was all funny how they all, it all went down and they had transcripts or everything. And it was all done through something called the WhatsApp app or WhatsApp. Oh, yeah. 
I know WhatsApp. Uh-huh. That's how they did most of the uh, communicating. It was all done through that because he's traveling all over the world. They're all over the world. These girls were in different countries. Uh, I think one was in Norway. And oh, he, wow. And he was originally from um, Israel or Egypt or somewhere. Which is the same thing, I guess, isn't no, it? No, they aren't. They're not? Same, same no. continent, right? Okay. Hey, hey, no, they're not the same continent at all, but go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I guess I freaking failed my geography. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but anyways, that's where he's from originally, and he used different names and different credit cards, and because the credit cards were never in his name, and he has all these fake IDs and fake stuff, and, and it was a big old Ponzi scheme is basically what it was. And, Weird. And it was really, I was glued to the entire thing today, all afternoon. I watched that's that That's like whole. right up your alley. Like all of those like crime podcasts and like serial killer shows you're so enthralled by people that are able to like trick people maybe i should be asking you what that says about you well it was funny because <laughs> speaking of travel you being gone away he was always gone away and always saying i was on the business deal or i was always doing other thing always actually did they ever want- meet him in person though Oh yeah, yeah. They were all oh, like okay. they, they were like boyfriend girlfriend. Like he was literally like their girl, their boyfriend girlfriend. Okay. They, um, but like they would, he only see him like when he was in town or whatever the case may be and stuff. And, and he, he never w- took them like on his trips that he had to go to. There's probably some reason. It's like yeah. First well, of all, I would have been like, is this dude married? And then second of all, I'd be like, is he in the mob? And third of all, I would be like. Is it really his money? You know, like, the, the funny, the reason why, the, what really got these girls to give him the money, the real, the thing that really pushed him to give them the money was, this is what he did. He has his bodyguard with him, supposedly, right? It could be his best buddy. Who knows? This right. big, guy, big guy. <laughs> Anyways, showed pictures of him all beat up and like scarred up and have like stitches on his head and blood on his face and in, in the hospital and a picture of him in the hospital and say, oh no, so-and-so, they tried to attack me and they were, they were on their way to attack, attack you, but I we protected them. And, oh my word. And, and we are in so much danger right now. We are, we're, I'm so much danger. I need, I need some money to get by because we're in so much danger. Our security detail costs this much money. And then she said, one girl said that he was blowing through like $20,000 in a weekend. What? That's crazy. Yeah, okay, well, you're giving it all away, Chris. I know that. You, so this is what oh, you did so today. I know. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what Chris does when I'm out of town. It's like, does he clean the house? Maybe. But does he binge Netflix? Yes, absolutely. It's like the only time I get a chance <laughs> to watch what I want to watch. Otherwise, when you're here, it's on Hallmark Channel. Oh, well, see, then it's at least filling your mind with love versus like the demise of love. <laughs> well, you got to balance it off, you know, you got to balance this balance beam around here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. But I definitely do miss you. Like the first couple of days when I'm gone, you always like call and text me nonstop. And I finally had to say yesterday, like, honey, I love you. And I love talking to you. But could you at least give me a chance to miss you? (laughs) I miss you every single day. I know. I know you do all the time. And I miss you too. But it's like sometimes when you don't text and call me quite all the time, it gives me a little bit of a chance to be like, oh, well, Chris would really love to do this. Oh, Chris, this, instead of like being on the phone with you and you being like, oh my gosh, everything's burning down. There's so much laundry. The kids are crazy. I'm like, just let me have a little bit of peace and quiet and I'll come home refreshed. It's definitely is what Instead of coming is. home to all that, you think? Oh man. Yes. You're, you're an interesting character when I'm out of town. Do you feel like a lost puppy without me? Is that what it is? I, you know, I know so. You know, I don't, I don't know how I ever did anything without you. I really don't. I'm like, how did I live without Christine in my life this whole entire time? Like, how did oh I pull this off? How did I do you're this? You're too much. You're too much. Well, I'm having a great time out here being able to see my bestie who I hadn't seen since our wedding. And Um, It was really nice. So yesterday we drove up into the mountains, her and I, we had a girl's afternoon and we went to um, 
just north of, well, not north, but just past Park City, which is where they had the Winter Olympics, like in the early 2000s. Well, how ironic. So, it's all right now. Yeah. And so we went through there and we went to this little town called Heber and um, we had lunch at a cute little cafe. And then we found a little trail down by the Provo River and we kind of like were just kind of frolicking through the snow and taking cute photos of ourselves and you know, doing things that best friends do together if they were to like live close by each other. And um, it's been nice. It's nice being here for a little bit longer because normally it's just like a really quick weekend. But I've been able to spend more time with her family and her kiddos and um, her and her husband and I went out tonight and her oldest babysat the kids so that we could get an adult's night out. And I treated them out to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, which was what? super fun. Yeah. No way. Look at that. I know. It's just been, things why, have been really why exciting. You treat me to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. I, never even I been, knew you were going to be jealous. I never even stepped foot in the restaurant. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was even like. I'll be like, what do we got here? Yeah. Well, it was a special treat and, you know, we just haven't seen each other for so long and I've missed out on so many birthdays and all of that stuff. We just wanted to go and have time to celebrate because like I was saying, if she was my best, well, she is my best friend, but if she was like living in the same town and my best friend, we'd do, you know, just like coffee dates and, you know, things like that. And so sometimes I just like to do something really nice. And whenever I go on vacation, I'd like to have like one nice dinner. And so that was it tonight. Oh, what is- <laughs> Makes up for tomorrow when I have Zoom meetings straight through from 8 a.m. until 6.30 p.m. And I'm just going to be eating whatever's here oh, wow. in my hotel room. Well, you can always order room service, right? Do they have room service? <laughs> no. <laughs> they don't? No, but I am what? on the I am on the floor where all of the like the lobby check in stuff is. So I could just like go out and get breakfast in the morning before meetings, which where, will be nice. Where, a vending machine or what? No, no, no. They Next have like a buffet machine? breakfast and then they have a restaurant here. I just oh, okay, that's to good, order that's it. Good. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. good. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, hey, babe, yeah. while you've been gone, yes. I've been holding the fort down over here on the old Chris and Christine Show podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, um, while you're gone, we had a fantastic guest swing on by the studio, virtually, of course. He, I know. He has a doctor about mental health and we talked about addiction and all the fantastic stuff. Well, not that fantastic stuff, but, but stuff that really... Are, is impactful for uh, you know your mental health and your well-being and things like yeah. that, you know? Absolutely. And we're going to be back with him right after this. Hey, thank you so much for being a loyal listener of The Chris and Christine Show. And as that you are a loyal listener, we have a very fun opportunity for you to get involved with the show. Ooh, tell me more. If you like to get exclusive content you can't get anywhere else and to receive free merchandise shipped to you every single month. Ooh, I want that then head over to patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine show. That is patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine show. Okay. Welcome back everybody. And today we have the special honor and privilege of talking to PhD Adi Jaffe. He is a uh, psychologist. He's taught at UCLA and he's the author of the best-selling book, The Abstinence Man. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and the, the crowd for going wild. I love that. Yeah, you know, we bring him into the studio just when we have a special VIP guest, man. I'm uh I'm already more excited just by just by the applause. Yeah, well, you know, all your fans are here, but you're kind of a big deal. So <laughs> so where in the world are you physically actually joining us today? I am I feel like we should make this a Carmen San Diego um sort of trivia kind of thing, but I'm in the land of angels. Uh, the uh, 
the the home of surfing, if you will, outside of Hawaii. I'm in Los Angeles. Fantastic. You know, um, Los Angeles does get a bad rap a lot of times. You know, people, <laughs> it, it depends what area you're in in Los Angeles. You know, there's there's like the Hollywood like glamorous side of Los Angeles, and then there's like side of people who actually live in the LA area and commute. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. I say this to people all the time. You know, because people obviously have a sense of LA of what they see in the movies and TV shows. But LA is a regular city, also, so you can you can decide that you want that side of things. I think when people first come to Los Angeles, they're enamored with it, right? It's uh, it's the glitzy part. You walk around places you've seen in movies and whatnot. Uh, I've been here since '96, so that that sheen has worn off. Um, I associate only with the regular people of Los Angeles, but I think there's a lot a lot of really really great stuff happening in Los Angeles, including creativity in in the health and wellness space and I'm in mental health as a psychologist, but I think also within that space, LA is very, uh, very much on the cutting edge of what can we do to help people live better lives? You know, it's very, yeah, I get that. I mean, and let's go back to your name, Audie Joffe. So it doesn't sound like you're from the Midwest, you know, I'm not, I was not born in Nebraska. I am from Israel originally. Okay. Lived there until I was 14 years old. And then um, my dad got a job. It was in Norfolk, Virginia originally. But by the time, like by the six month that we, that had lapsed from him getting the job and us moving, uh, the guy who hired him moved to Chicago. So we actually moved to a suburb of Chicago called Skokie, Illinois, made famous by um, the usual suspect movie. Oh, fantastic. Yes. So what made you want to kind of get into this whole mental health psychology aspect, Avenue? Like what, what drew you there? Yeah, so I was actually um, a psychology undergrad. I, I literally, my bachelor's, my master's, and my PhD are all in psychology. I was a pre-med student. My dad was a physician. My sister is now. And that was the track I was supposed to be on. But I was not a great student. I was good at taking tests. I was bad at being a student when I was uh, in high school and college. And so it was very clear that I wasn't going to cut it into medicine. So I started... I. This happens to a lot of people, I think, in an undergrad that start pre-med as a biology major. Then I went to psychobiology and eventually I went to psychology. And I was, I always really loved, I think it's actually partially because of some of the stuff I went through when I was a kid. I actually loved listening and, and talking about what goes on inside our minds. I was always very much stuck in my own mind, if I can. And... So that drew me. I thought my parents would be really upset when I told them, but when I told them that I was switching to psychology, they were actually relieved and said, that actually sounds like a perfect fit for you. Um, and so I've, you know, that was in 1995, 96 that I made the switch and I've been there ever since. You know, speaking of psychology as a doctorate and a doctor, you know, um, compared to like, say, a f- physician or something or, uh, you yeah. know, surgeon, you don't really get your hands dirty, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, but then I decided to get specialized in behavioral neuroscience when I was in my PhD program. So actually, I spent two of my years in my PhD program doing surgeries on animals, but doing surgeries. Oh, so, like what do you what do you dissect? What kind of like a frog? Or? It, it, no, it was uh, I did studies on rats, uh, drug drug addiction studies on rats. We studied nicotine and cocaine uh, and meth on mice. So I was Whoa. I was getting my hands dirty for sure. You know, um, have you ever seen the movie? What is it? Um, the one with Will Smith, End of the World, the um, I'm Legend, where oh, he's, yeah, stu- yeah. he's studying on those rats. Were, were, were the rats, like, the cocaine, the crystal meth <laughs> rats, were they just like that in the movie? Less so, but they do get very, meth rats get very um, sort of aggravated and agitated after you give them meth, which is not all that different than humans, by the way. But 
yeah, they get um, they're skittish. They're harder to pick up. They're not as rats. I'm, it's funny because I did this work with rats for two years. I'm not scared of rats, or I'm not turned off by them at all. I like handling them if I can. So, um, but they were definitely different on the drugs. There's no question about that. Is a rat the closest comparison to a human being when you do studies like that? It's not the closest, right? So you have um, primates are, are closer and. Uh, apes, but that first of all, that work is much, much touchier, and I didn't really want to get into that field. Um, and secondly, so what the rat brain is pretty similar; it has many of the same basic structures that the human brain has, which is very, very interesting. Because as humans, we always tend to think of ourselves as so much more complex than other animals. Um, obviously, there are big differences also with the rat, but the rat brain is actually pretty similar to us; more similar than most people would assume. Really, that's that's fan- that's very interesting how how people think about that. I, I mean, I guess you, you always hear about the, was it the PETA is a PTA no what is it was the animal PTSD uh, P, no the uh, the animal rights activists are always going oh, after PETA PETA that's what it is. yeah PETA I was thinking like PETA chip for some reason but PETA <laughs> but PETA's always going nuts over that kind of stuff with any kind of animal testing for whether drugs or products or anything like that you know do you they ever get do any, yeah they you do any, and actually my uh, my advisor got sort of pushed out of UCLA because. There would be constant um, trolling of his work. And look, by the way, I, I also understand it. Having done the work, I understand why people are upset by it to some extent. I'm not going to lie. It's it's invasive and it's hard. I do also think we discover a lot of pretty amazing things and medicine has progressed incredibly because of some of the research that we've been able to do. So, you know, it's a it's a double-edged sword as, as most things in the world end up doing, right? We we loved fossil fuel for what it did for our industrial revolution. And now we're trying to figure out how to offset the damage that it's created. And I think that most things come with benefits and um, detrimental side effects at the same time. So Adi, as I was doing a little research on you, it turns out when you're going to school earlier in your life, you had a situation where you got arrested by the SWAT team? Can you yeah, tell me what's, that, what's up with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's how I ended up studying addiction in particular later. But I, after my bachelor, well, actually during my bachelor degree, I got very heavily involved in drugs. Um, and, you know, it started out with ecstasy and then it evolved into meth. And I was selling a lot of them as well. That's how I financed um, the five years after my college education. I really never wanted to go back to school. I didn't care about school. I, I came out to LA. I wanted to make music and drug dealing seemed to be my way of, of getting into that. Um, but I was using a lot of drugs uh, on a regular basis. Were you, and so, what was your drug of choice mostly? Meth, meth, meth really the... became my drug of choice. Yeah. Okay. But I was, you know, I used other than, well, I use cocaine periodically. It's so funny. Like when I compare it to the way I was back then, I was using, and this is not a euphemism. I was using constantly for about six years. And I mean by that, I didn't spend a moment sober. Um, Didn't really drink much towards the end. Meth, ecstasy, ketamine, mushrooms, LSD, uh, GHB. I mean, I used a lot of different things constantly. And it was, um, obviously my life was quite a mess at that point. I, I wasn't, we kind of, you know, lived in the underbelly of LA at the time. Also got to go to some of those parties and clubs that we were talking about earlier, but but most more as a supplier. And 
Yeah, um, I got a few arrests, but the, it ended with a really, really big one. I uh, I had a motorcycle accident. They found a whole bunch of cocaine on me, and and they so they knew that you know I was more than just a user, and they chased me around for about three months, and eventually they found me passed out with a meth pipe next to my bed at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and I woke up to that scene you've seen in movies before of a SWAT team just crowding into a room. You know, shotguns and and handguns really? out. Well, did they don't come to the window? The movies they come to the window. They don't come to the window, do they? They got my landlord to open the door so they didn't have to go. Yeah, through the window. that's what I thought. Because you know, in the movies they like bust down with ropes through like the skylight or something. Right. Well, I, I think they did that for uh, Suge Knight, right? I think Suge Knight got that visit. Oh, really? In the death row offices uh, back in the day, but yeah, no, my landlord was nice enough, which I, you know, it's a good thing. I probably would have had to pay for that door if he didn't open it for them. Nobody else is paying for it, right? Uh, yeah, but they came in and um, guns drawn. I was really, really lucky that by the time I woke up and came to, because I was passed out, I didn't add a gun next to my bed, so it's a good thing I didn't reach for it because we probably would not be having this conversation right now. Right? Yeah. But it was, uh, you know, you can definitely call that a uh, a low point in my life. Yeah, I would think so. And now, did you actually get any jail time from that? I did. I got a year in jail. I was first thing 13 to 18 years when I started. But, and again, I'll own my privilege. Being white and having a, uh, a good attorney helped, I assume. But I also went to rehab, failed out of my first rehab or got kicked out for using. But then I cleaned my act up for the last eight or nine months. And I think all those factors worked in my favor. I got a year in jail. I did that in LA County jail here locally. And what was that like, by the way, going to LA County jail? You know, um, it was as crappy as you would expect it to be. It can't it's, be worse um, than TJ. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's probably not worse than TJ. It's, you know, jail is this really weird place where they strike a very interesting balance between terror boredom and like complete dissolution of self you know you become a number nobody cares about you period right um you kind of feel like an animal they treat you like an animal and so it, it kind of depersonalizes you in a, in a really really big way and then you know fights riots um all this insanity Keep your back sleep on your back make sure that you're back against the wall at all yeah, times I mean, you're kind of always, your eyes peeled always careful and and then boredom, because most of the time there's literally nothing to do. Um, so it was a very, very bizarre thing. For me, by the time I got out, one thing was clear, and it was I wanted to do everything I could to never end up back in that place. Um, fortunately for me, you know, that was in 2001, 2002. So it's been now 20 years, and I've succeeded in that. But it was, yeah, it was a scary, scary time and a time that, made me really reconsider what I was doing when I got out. Now, being that you're in psychology, do you think that whole being in that jail with all these people, your minds are just a lot of crazies, I'm sure, in there, and people are talking to themselves, and people are just doing all kinds of crazy things, and everyone's, like you said, it's a very, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around until you're physically in that situation, what that's actually yeah. like. So you think that kind of like, you know, launched you into doing what you do today? It did, and it also launched one of the biggest mottos of um, of what I do. And so I'll, I'll explain more as we keep going. But one of our mottos, and I'll keep this PG at Ignited, is F shame. And one of the things I'll say, you know, people look at me now and see an, an you know, a, 
old UCLA professor or a researcher or an entrepreneur, whatever they see, a, a father. But I know my backstory, and it's part of the reason why I'm so public about it, is I have no room to judge anyone. Right. Because of everywhere I've been. And so I think I get to I get the pleasure of working with people that feel like nobody will accept them because of what they've gone through. And I can say to them very, very clearly, look, it took a lot of work, I'm not gonna lie. But with with dedication, work, motivation, and the right tools and support, because I can't I can't deny the extreme support I got from people around me in my life, you can turn it all back around and end up in a place where you know, nobody would know. If I didn't tell my story, nobody would know that this is part of my background. Yeah, I, I hear you and I feel you for you, man. I know that uh, if you ever go to like AA's Anonymous, things like that, usually people there or people hosting the place or counselors, I guess they would say, usually for the most part, they've had addiction situations in the past. Because I think that if you are struggling with addiction, it's probably, or you're struggling with anything really, that it's easier, easier to talk to somebody who's gone through that road and has actually come out the other side. And you say, well, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it too, as, as an example. I think that's I think that's very true. Um I, I'm a big proponent of the combination of experience and education and training. If you can have both of those together with a, a good dose of empathy, I think you you make the best kind of helper. Yeah, the empathy, my wife always says, Christine says, I'm usually pretty hard. Uh, I got to work on my empathy. <laughs> That's she, you know, yeah, she, I mean, you know, I'm, um, I'm probably different. Not probably. I'm different in my everyday life than I am in my professional life. When your job is to hold space for somebody else's experience, it's, it gets easier for me anyway to say, okay, let me, you know, empathy is kind of being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes. And I've learned one thing, man, I, I will say this forever. If I really think through a person's experience and I look at everything they've been through in life, I may have made myself different choices, but that's because of my upbringing, my experience, etc. But oftentimes I can understand exactly why they followed the path that they did and where they ended up makes complete sense which removes the judgment piece for me. And then we get to work on what's really important, which is, okay, how do we get to change their trajectory, their direction, and how do we get them to a life that they enjoy? Because I got news for everybody. There's nobody who's struggling mightily with addiction or mental health struggles and is incredibly happy with where they are, right? They recognize change needs to happen, but you know they may not feel like they deserve that change. They may have absolutely no idea how to get there. And that's what we help them with. So ignited, it, it's spelled I G N T D. Now is that a acronym for something? Uh, I made it an acronym. I thought, look, I thought I was being all clever when I created it four and a half years ago. You know, it's like it's kind of a modern thing now to take some vowels out of a out of a word. Oh, right? okay, and yeah. So that's how it started, but now it stands for inspiration, gratitude, necessity, transparency, and uh, and drive. So you said. F shame. Now, the shame you're talking about is that when you hit that low point and you feel so embarrassed that uh, late at night you just want to stay home, turn your phone off, and not answer calls, and they'll be, you know, you shed friends out of the picture and you become very lonely and very isolated. I know a lot of people that does happen when they hit their low point and it can be very 100%. scary. 100%. So, well, you know, shame is embarrassment can be part of it, but shame is when you feel like you are damaged, like you are worthless, like you are not enough, like you are unlovable. And that's different than just feeling badly for things you've done. And so I, you know, first of all, I identify with that on a really, really deep level. That was a big part of my experience growing up. And sometimes it's external, sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's a combination of both. But, you know, the people that I get 
and the people that I work with the most because of the way we work is one of the one of the common themes that I see in all of them is that really they they've lost hope because they don't know that they have what it takes to make it out of the way of life that they've created for themselves. And that, you know, that loss of hope, a lot of us don't think about it, but, um, you know, we all know Pandora's box story, right? Everybody, right. I think anybody listening here has listened to Pandora's box story at some point. Well, we missed something big in the Pandora's box story. All of us focused on the fact that she opened up this box and, um, all the bad, all the evil spirits, right, came out and sort of repopulated the earth. But what they forget, or what a lot of people forget anyway, is that at the end of that story is the last thing that came out of that box was hope. And when Pandora opened up the box, she also gave people hope back to uh, to recover from whatever evil spirits they're um, encountering, whatever troubles they've had. And a lot of the people that I work with have lost hope. And, and to me, that's a really important factor for humanity. And so that's that's one of the things we try to instill in them quickly and early in the process is, look, all we need to do is find the right combination of tools, the right set of supports, and you can have whatever life you want with work. Do you think it's hard? Like, how do you tell somebody who's been in the bottom of the barrel, they've lost their family, loved ones, they are addicted to meth, drugs, alcohol, whatever, at their lowest point, how do you even show them there is hope like how do you even you know tease them with that how do you get that in, in their mind yeah so by the way that is one of the things that is great about community support and peer support groups like aa that you mentioned and things like that so one of the easiest ways is to see somebody else who's done it um that's why i think people are attracted to ignited be- between my story and the story of a lot of the other coaches that we have many of whom have struggled themselves not all but many of them have there's a there's a huge benefit to seeing other people who have been at the bottom, right? I think a SWAT team arresting you and going to jail is is a pretty strong enough bottom for most people. Yeah, uh, but some, some could our, say it's just a, another Tuesday. Just <laughs> another know? Tuesday, yeah, exactly. And so we, you know, I've seen all sorts of bottoms for our people. And uh, I have to say, the, the moment at which you start doing the work is the moment where you get to start rising from whatever your bottom is currently. And so for some people... In, our, in my program, their bottom is not that low. And that's great. I don't see that as a problem. If you can do the work early, you don't have to experience incredibly um, insufferable pain. But what is required is the recognition that something is wrong and that you want to change. And unfortunately for me, it took literally the world coming to an end as far as my regular functioning to make me realize very, very clearly that what I was doing was not going to work. I was a very, um, I was a very tough student. Yeah. Well. Uh, so Adi, I got to ask you about the last two years as we're, you know, recording this. It's uh, 2022, and the great old year of 2020. There was a, mm. a major thing that kind of happened worldwide called the pandemic, yeah. and I know that there was a lot of lockdowns that were put in place, at least here in California where we live. And so, um, and I know it's kind of teetering back and forth, maybe going back to that with the Omicrons and the other cons and whatever they're my, whatever kind of versions are coming out uh, the next week. But uh, I was kind of wondering about, I know that mental health really was put through the ringer when people were locked up and told to stay home. Do you agree? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you remember, uh, the first few months in particular, were tough. I mean, they were tough for so many reasons. First of all, 
nobody knew how long this thing was going to last. And secondly, the world came to a halt. Um, you know, there were a few times in the first few weeks, first few months that when we had to leave the house, it was a ghost town. There was nobody anywhere. And I don't know that any of us appreciated. We all know that we're social animals and we need other people to connect to in order to really feel like we're living our best lives. But I don't think any of us realized how important that was until it wasn't there anymore. Right. Yeah, totally. And I, and I just think that like, I know that people who are unstable, especially in relationships, you know, if you're stuck home, you're both, you're locked home together and you're kind of in a rocky situation. And then you start bringing in alcohol and I think, do you find that more people started drinking more or using more when the lockdown kind of happened? Absolutely. Um, alcohol sales early on doubled and tripled. No way. Yeah, yeah, doubled and tripled. They were just by literally tracking um, sales of alcohol at retail stores. And I'll tell you at my house, so we had a very interesting situation. I don't know if you have kids. We had uh, We have three kids. So we had our three kids. At the time, we had a live-in nanny who had just moved in with us. And one of our friends had the... Um, the foresight when the lockdown was about to happen, she said, hey, she lived alone. She said, I don't know if I can muster this on my own. Do you guys mind if I come over? And we had a guest room. So um, we said, sure. So we had seven people in the house, um, the three kids, my wife and I, and then these two guests. And, you know, the one thing I didn't experience in that lockdown was isolation because we had all the people. But what I did experience is there was no reprieve, right? There was no way to change my environment. It's like we were all in the house all the time. And there were, you know, I would still work. I work remotely anyway, as it sounds like you do too. Actually, I don't, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, you have to go in somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. everything, I, I'm sitting at my home office right off the garage here. And this is kind of where I do everything anyway. So my workday didn't really change all that much. Uh, if anything, more people needed our help. But it was really funny i would walk upstairs sometimes at three o'clock in the afternoon and my wife who doesn't really drink that much ever was having a drink with her friend out in the backyard because what else are you going to do right it was literally right, yeah. you couldn't leave the house so i think this was happening for a ton of people even people who didn't traditionally drink a lot and what we're seeing on the back end is the addiction or you know struggles with consumption of alcohol and other drugs and um, the mental health outcomes, the mental health results, the mental health um, conditions that people developed over the COVID scare—they've um, been—they've been pretty terrifying. What about food? Have you noticed a problem with the overeating and indulgence? You know, I think about 10, 15 percent of people who come to us come for food issues, and while we get the same, we've been getting the same relative number. I do think that the mental health issues have been overriding that problem, but but people have definitely been reporting that they've found themselves gaining 10, 15 pounds over COVID. And I think that's a that's a combination of a couple of things, right? First of all, before you'd be more active, you would go out. I mean, this is coming back in many places now, but for a long time, people weren't as active. They were scared of going out. They were scared of... Uh, you know, definitely gyms were closed, but even going for runs for a while, people were really, really scared of that stuff. And when you're home, I don't know about you, if I'm home all the time, I snack constantly. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's just my thing. 
Yeah, you know, and I, I also too speaking of food, I was just thinking of this is that all of those uh, delivery services, whether it's grocery delivery or Uber Eats or Grubhub, those places were just booming because people were staying home. Like, oh my God, they, Amazon made a ton of money. F- they had a feast, no pun intended. Yeah, like I was thinking, like if you want a quick job, I mean, you need something to do, and you can leave the house. Uh, go ahead and do that, because I am. I mean, I mean, you don't know, but I am in the transportation industry. I work for a gasoline tanker company. Got you it. live in L.A., so you probably have seen trucks all around town and cars. You know, need sure. gas. So, but so for us, we were just kept on going. But I know during the pandemic, when the first like three months or whatever, it did get really slow. You did notice less cars on the road, so it was slow for us. It was fine, whatever. But we never like stop production. You know, we were, we were for our company because I work for an oil company. I don't work for a carrier, so we had um, we had business going. So I always had to leave the house. And Christine, she went strictly on to remote learning or remote teaching, I guess, or yeah. whatever uh, for her work. So she was here at the house, and I was so jealous that I had to leave. Like I want to stay home. I want to be here with you. You know, like because I have to go out. You know, so, so it kind of. Mm. So far, our situation was a little different, I guess, than most people's. But um, but I I would rather have been home. I mean, maybe I'm just introvert that way, and I just like being home. You know, I wish I could work from home. Be great. I'm so jealous, man. I'm I'm a deep. Uh, I really need my alone time. So I agree. It wasn't. I'm not going to say that I really miss the hustle and bustle of constantly needing to meet people in different places. L.A. is also a terrible place to drive, and everybody knows that it's a cliche. But yep. Um, you know, it's, it's like a joke, like driving five miles to go meet somebody can take you 30 or 45 minutes. It's crazy. Yeah. What's your least favorite freeway in LA, by the way? <laughs> Everybody probably has the same answer for this. I think there's a, the 405 101 meeting place. Oh, I've now, heard of it. I, yeah. I now never have to do it anymore, but pre COVID, I have no idea what it's like now, but pre COVID we used to live in the Valley and it could take you an hour to get past that part of town. And Just get it's, past that area, huh? It's like three miles. Is there another way around? There's another freeway, right? Can you go around the five maybe? No, the five is north of the 405. So you actually have to, oh. if, you, if you catch the five where it normally is before it meets the 405, it's actually way off. It's like on the other side of downtown. No, it's there's. It's not that you can't overrun it, but there are side streets and those are equally as bad because everybody's figured out those routes. Oh man, I, I hate it when they send us to LA. Cause I work in San Diego down here locally, Got and it. and the day they have to send us to LA because we have a, a refinery, refineries in LA, and we have like our main terminals in LA. It's actually not the greatest neighborhood. It's like in Southgate, which is not the greatest neighborhood. Yeah. So so they send us up there, you know, and I'm like, oh, I hate going up there, and then just fighting the traffic up, and then fi- then navigating the roads back. Nightmare. It, it, Nightmare. It I mean, is. it's a joke. I, I don't know if you ever watched Saturday Night Live, but they have that skit, the Californians. What's that? It's a skit about people living in California. And at the beginning of every single skit, when somebody comes into the house and they're a guest or whatever, and the conversation is always, oh, how did you get here? And they start describing the streets that they took or the freeways. And literally, I would say 40% of the conversations in L.A. start out about traffic. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's bad. It's really, really it's bad. It's that or maybe the weather too. Like if you come out, if you come out from someplace that's really like in Minnesota or something, you know, and you come, the weather's nice out here. It's great. And I, I love the way the Hollywood really makes LA seem like it's all Rodeo Drive, like everywhere you go. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> you know, so I not mean, it, at all. until you but go again, to like every city has that, right? I think that's, that's what gives cities their character. So LA actually has really fun, amazing areas to, to go to, uh, it works in these little pockets. So you just have to know the pockets you're going to. 
Now, um, as far as uh, I was thinking about this with homeless, the homeless situation, do you ever deal with any kind of like homeless or anything like that? We don't in the current work that I do, although one of the things I promised to do in 2022 is Ignite is going to start offering buy one, give one um, for our subscription. So we're not expensive. We go from $23 to $273 a month. And so, you know, at the low range, we're definitely affordable. But um, I do want to be able to start offering the sort of help that we do to other people who are less privileged and don't have the money. So we are going to start that. Um, we're starting, there's a study, well, not even a study, a little a little experiment that we're doing with a county in Wisconsin in La Crosse County um, any day now that we're going to start enrolling their patients. So those will be not necessarily homeless, but people who are you know less fortunate or people just don't have as much money and, and the city and, and the county over there are going to support their care. Look, not just addiction, but mental health in general does not discriminate. And if anything, in the society that we live in right now, uh, we live in a very achievement-based and success-driven kind of society. So in a way, I don't think this is telling anybody anything they don't know. But if you're not successful, if you're not going at it every day and, and getting it done and you know working hard and bringing in the money, you're seen as less of a person. And so a lot of people who struggle with mental health obviously have a hard time holding on to jobs, have a hard time holding on to much in life. And so they do end up indigent. They end up with less resources. So let's go to your Ignited. What do people get with Ignited? If I sign up for it, what, what do you, what's the process like and what do you do? Yeah. So, you know, the thing I love about Ignited is that it's actually a pretty personalized process. So even though it's remote and we've been doing that for four years before COVID, um, the way you start out is you fill out a questionnaire. We're really, really excited this month. We just released something called the drinking score. Um, it always really bothered me. That Wait, is that like a, it sounds like a bachelor game, the drinking score? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, exactly, it's like, imagine like a personality test before you're drinking. So up until now, it's like you either had a drinking problem or you didn't, right? Okay. Um, and I think that's any black and white thinking is really, really damaging to the human psyche, in my opinion, because the world is not black and white. We all know that. Um, okay. But then we put things in boxes, right? So for the vast majority of time, up until very recently, everything was man or woman, right? Like you're a man or you're a woman. Well, we're finding out that it's actually, at least for hundreds of years, if not forever, that wasn't actually true. There were also other groups, but we just relegated them to non-existence by saying everything is a man or woman. Failure, success, uh, black and white, right? For a long time, people don't remember this, but for a long time, when you filled out a survey in terms of your race, it was like white or non-white. Oh, okay. That was the only That's two choices? It. Yeah. So now imagine how people from the Caribbean, from Africa, uh, from South America, or from you know specific countries in Europe felt when you asked them, like, are you white or non-white? Like, they all just got grouped together as if it doesn't matter. So the same thing for me happens around alcohol. Like, what we say to people is, are you an alcoholic or are you not an alcoholic? And the bottom line is, that's not, those are not the only two categories of people that have problems with drinking. There are a lot of different levels of problems with drinking. So we introduced a drinking score. It's a very quick assessment people can take completely for free. And what they get is a score from zero to 100 uh, of how kind of severe their drinking problem is and some more specific indicators and things like that that so they can what kind of questions do, would you ask on that score so the questions pertain to a few different areas one of them is level of control like do you drink more than you want to sometimes more often than you want to do you have a hard time stopping when you start things like that they also have to do with health consequences so like the severity of how how much and how often are you drinking and do you have any health consequences related to it 
Uh, they have to do with real life consequences. Have you been arrested, had DUIs, have right, people yeah. in your life commented about your drinking? Uh, so those are kind of the big, big pieces. And we also touch on mental health. Like, did you have early childhood trauma and things like that? So people take a survey. We give them really personalized reports at the end to say, hey, here's what we noticed. Here's what you can get help with. And when you join the Ignited program, you get a full, it's three to six month fully laid out program. You can log in every day, do, you know, one hour at a time if you want to, and it's available 24, seven, 365. So you, you get, you know, the 15 years of research that I've done in the field, you get all that uh, laid out for you, but then you get more than that. You get live groups. So you mentioned kind of AA before our, not response, but our version of those are 20 different groups we have running every week that help people with everything from trauma to family issues, relationship issues, and then also allow them to share about their wins and their struggles and, you know, really connect to a community that that cares about them. So I, I really look at what we offer as an answer to AA. Um, a lot of people don't like talking about this, but AA works for a very small number of people who go there. So Very small number? What do you mean by that, very small number? So AA is the de facto solution for most people. That's when most people go get help, it's AA based. Whether they go to rehab or they do it on their own, they go to AA meetings or a rehab that's based on AA, that's like 85 to 90% of the help that's provided in the US. And unfortunately, you know, within one year, the success rates of AA and people will fight about this left and right, but are somewhere between 5% and 15%. So about five to 15% of people who go to AA are still sober a year later. Oh, wow. Um, and that leaves, you know, 95 to 85% of people that are not getting help. And it's even worse because I don't know how you feel about AA or if there are people in your life that, you, that have ever gone, but people don't want to go to AA. So only about 10% of people with drug and alcohol problems end up going to 12-step groups or to professional treatment. So unfortunately, the way the system is set up right now, we're literally helping something like 1% of the people who struggle. There are 70 million people uh, who struggle with alcohol or drugs in this country, and only about 2.5 million to 3 million every year go get help. So over 70 million people are not getting help. Do you think and that's why I started Ignited. Well, do you think a lot of it's because of it's a court order? Like if you get DUI, you got to you court ordered with the AA for X amount of hours. Is it something to do with that? Maybe like, God, I have to do this because I have to check it off? I think that's definitely one of the things that drives people to go. And right, so that those are the people who actually go more religiously, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, look, AA is not... If you think to yourself that you're drinking a little too much on the weekends or if you have three drinks a day and you want to cut back a little bit, you're not thinking of going to AA. And I, I don't know that that's a bad thing, but the bottom line is there aren't a lot of solutions for those kinds of people. So we created Ignited for those people. Uh, we also, you mentioned, I, I wrote a book called The Abstinence Myth. We also don't make people commit to abstinence. So I tell people, do you want to not drink or do you want to drink less? And we get to support them in either one of those solutions. So... That, that makes us very unique because most places, no matter what they say, the goal is to quit drinking. Some of the people that come to us, their goal is not to quit drinking. And so- What would that goal be then? To drink less or become more of like, would you call, quote unquote, a social drinker maybe? Yeah, exactly. And you know, I, it's funny because I, I can, I even hear, that seems so blasphemous to a lot of people, right? Like even, even in the way that you said it, it's kind of like, well, are you telling people that they can still drink? And one of- really common outcomes for us is people drink 50, 60, 70% less. Um, just as an example, I'll give an example of one of our clients. She came in, she was drinking two bottles of wine a night. So it's about 14 a, bottles. At a night? Yeah, two bottles a night on her own by herself. So 
14 to 15 bottles a week. That's a lot of drinking, right? That's a lot of money is being down the drain. <laughs> a lot of money, not down the drain, but yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 15 bottles, right? That's a lot of drinking. She drinks three to six drinks a week now. That's okay. a bottle. So okay. she's literally dropped her drinking by more than 90%. And to me, that's a huge success story. And we have a bunch of those. So yeah, some people drink less. Some people drink less and then come to me and say, hey, you know what? I actually want to change my goal. I don't really want to drink anymore. I don't really like drinking like this. So we see all kinds of outcomes. And the research shows that it's possible. I support it wholeheartedly. And even more importantly, and I think you'll agree with this, Chris, it's like... um. You can't, nobody can make anybody do anything, right? Right, yeah. All we get to do is support people in what they want to do. And then if somebody says, I want to drink less, and they're with us for a couple of months and it's not working out, it's our job to go, hey, you've been working on this drinking less thing for a while and it's not working out. Maybe we change our goal. And because they like us, because they're with us, because they trust us, because we haven't screwed them over, we haven't, you know, shamed them. They oftentimes will go, yeah, let's, you know, let's try this abstinence thing for a while. And then it either works or it doesn't, but they have a much easier time switching to that goal. Do you find that some people will try to say, I'm just going to go cold turkey and just be, and just try to just wean it off, just stop completely? Does that ever really work or is that really just like a myth? No, I've seen it all work, man. I've seen it all work. I've seen people slowly gradually go down from a lot of drinking to nothing i've seen people go from a lot of drinking to some drinking and i've seen people absolutely go cold turkey now i've also seen people go cold turkey be totally abstinent for a while and then decide to drink again so here's here's the way i would talk about it and i think this is just generally the way we look at addictions in general i don't think addiction is about the drug at all um I think we miss the boat with constantly focusing on, well, what can we do for cocaine users or what can we do for meth users? I think people who struggle with drugs and alcohol have other issues. Now, sometimes those issues are biological, like genetics or hormones and things like that. Sometimes they're psychological. Sometimes they're environmental. Uh, Other times they're spiritual. I'm really big on having a purpose and feeling like what you do matters. A lot of people come to me and they don't feel like what they do matters. They don't feel like they matter in the world. And that's, you know, it's hard to, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to, to think to yourself that it matters if you drink or don't drink today if nobody cares about you. So long story short, we help them deal with those underlying issues. And, you know, you talked about work, Chris, you're in a relationship, you have, a, you have this podcast, you have all these things and stuff comes up all the time. Like life never, it's not like you ever hit a moment where life just straightens out and never throws trouble your way, right? Right. Yeah. So for people who struggle with their mental health or for people who have unhealthy early learning from their development, their relationships, their family, that support for dealing with the things, the issues, the troubles, the stressors that life throws at you, it's sort of an ongoing process. And you do it in community. I don't know who you talk to when things get hard, but we all need somebody to process and talk to when things get hard. And, um, And I think in that way, Ignited offers people that instead of saying to them, hey, you can be here as long as you don't drink or as long as you meet your goals. For us, it's really simple. You can be here as long as you're committed to making your life and yourself better. Fantastic. That's what it's all about, man, making a better life for you and the people around you, hopefully, too. Get to experience a joyful you, not a grumpy uh, drunk you, you know? Yeah. Wow. Well, hey, uh, Adi, so I read here that um, you also have a podcast? 
Speaking I of podcasting, do have a podcast. Surprisingly called the Ignited Podcast. Well, check that. How long have you been doing that? Uh, like three and a half years. Oh, fantastic. How's yeah. your uh, podcasting journey been going on so far? I love it. We just crossed 2 million downloads a little Look bit ago. Look at you. 2 million downloads. Yeah, yeah. I love it. You know, we started the podcast because my wife and I have really interesting friends and we have our own story too, but... We thought we were having such cool conversations with some of our friends. We wanted to be able to have them on tape and, and let other people listen in. I've been blessed to have some pretty amazing guests on the podcast, which I've been really, really happy about. And so I don't know how you feel about it, but I look forward to my interviews because I get to learn so much and I get to sit in with some pretty amazing people and learn, absorb, connect, which is, again, so much of what life is about. It definitely is. Yeah, we love doing it too. You know, we started our pod, this podcast, I don't know, maybe three years ago or something like that. Awesome. Also, and uh, yeah, we're just having so much fun with it. And, and it's been a fun journey and a fun ride. And we get to talk to, like I said, all kinds of crazy people coming through here talking to stuff about all kinds of fun stuff, you know? So exactly. it, it's it's been a quite a journey. So Adi, where can everybody find you and all of your wonderful stuff? You got a website or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, ignited.com is the easiest one. And again, as you mentioned so well, uh, it's spelled I-G-N-T-D, ignited.com. There's also a website, adjaffe.com, that also works. And, you know, if you look me up, I've, I've been in this field and doing this work for 10 to 12 years. So I've been all over the place, but those are the easiest places to find us. Uh, my book, The Abstinence Myth, is also on the website, theabstinencemyth.com, or you can get it on Amazon where it's available for Kindle and all these other beautiful, beautiful ways of, uh, of getting the content. It's a really short book. I wrote it on purpose. It's about 120 pages, so you can get through it quickly. Nice. That's fantastic. So, Adi, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with today while we have you on the line? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing I always want to leave everybody with, and I started with this to some extent, is... If you are struggling or you know somebody else who's struggling, there is always hope. I think too many of us try one or two things, and if they don't work, we lose that hope. We start thinking there's something so wrong with us. We're so damaged that we'll never be able to recover. And you're talking to somebody who's speaking from experience, and I've seen this now on thousands of other people. It's not a question of whether or not there's a set of tools that will get you where you're going. It's a question of what those tools are. And so I really urge people, again, whether you're the one struggling or you have a family member who's struggling, to not lose sight of the fact that, you know, uh, what did Thomas Edison say so famously? I didn't fail 10,000 times. I found 10,000 ways not to do it. Um, (laughs) Nice. if, If Thomas Edison's inventions were important enough to fail 10,000 times in order to learn the right way to do things, your life and the life of your loved ones is definitely worth at least that many experiments. Amen, brother. I love it. That was fantastic. Well, Adi, this has been wonderful, and I w- we wish you all the best and luck in all of your endeavors, man. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me, Chris. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. Wow, Chris, you did a really great job with that interview. I really loved hearing all about Dr. Joffe's background and you know, all that he's doing in the mental health space. I think that it's such a unique approach to what he's doing. Oh, thanks, babe. You know, I was very nervous holding the fort down by myself. (laughs) 
you know, like it, it's, you know, I mean, you you do so well when you when you have the interviews, you. and it's you and I, and, or even you. You are so good at this kind of stuff, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to bring the fun and the funny here, you know. And <laughs> I yeah, do what but I, I think can. that you did a really great job, especially with what could be like a really heavy topic. You did such a great job, and I loved hearing about this like different approach to providing mental health supports and around addiction and counseling and. I think it's something that a lot of people can benefit from, especially as like we're coming out of the holidays and as people have gone through COVID for the last couple of years, the one thing that I've been hearing is that mental health support providers are just like overwhelmed with the number of people that are like reaching out for counseling and therapy. And so, yeah, I just think that this is like so perfectly timed. Oh, well, there you go. Perfectly timed is usually not my specialty. I'm usually pretty, <laughs> I'm usually pretty like, you know, dropping things at the wrong moment and things of that sort. Like, Chris, how inappropriate, you know? <laughs> well, talking about dropping things on time or not at the right time, it's about time for us to wrap this up because in my time zone, it is just about midnight. No way, we midnight. Wanna, yep, yep. And we want to get this out so that all of our listeners can enjoy it. Absolutely, baby doll. So, hey, when can I see you again, babe? When are you coming home? I'm going to be home in two days, but two you'll be days. working. So you'll see me when you get home from work that night. Wednesday, um, right? Yeah, well, yes, you'll be home on Wednesday early morning. I'll be home on Tuesday night. But uh, all of our listeners, you can catch this episode. Make sure to check out any of our past episodes. And then for future episodes, we will be back with you next week.